0: Hi everyone, welcome to another installment of Art Blog Radio. Um, I'm here, I'm Imani Roach, as you all know, and today I'm here recording uh, on-site at the Asian Arts Initiative, uh, where there's a lot of chaotic work and anticipation uh, in advance of the 25th anniversary celebration, which is beginning this coming weekend. Um, And today, our first guest, we're very excited. Um, is Suyun Juliet Lee, uh, who is a Colorado-based poet and conceptual artist, um, and Juliet is one of the exchange artists who's been specially commissioned with the help of Pew uh, to commemorate this major landmark for the Asian Arts Initiative. So thank you so much for joining us, Juliet. My pleasure. Um, So your sort of multimedia piece, uh, Peace Light, is scheduled to premiere this Thursday evening at Mm 7. Can you tell us a little bit about the genesis of the idea behind Peace Light, um, and also about how you got connected with Asian arts? Sure. So it's a little bit of
1: an odyssey story. Um, I'm a Korean diasporic subject. So my parents um, immigrated to the United States, and they're both war survivors. Um, my father was boyfriend during the war. And um, growing up in a household like that, as a child, I just took it for granted that this was like part of our story. And also, it wasn't always like shared or manifested. So, as I got older, I started to have more questions around just my family's history. And as I got more into like my late 20s and 30s, it became apparent to me that. A lot of the family difficulties that we had were directly related, in my opinion, to the trauma of surviving and witnessing war that my parents experienced as young children. Um, And I became a little bit more um, critical of how tensions in Korea, and especially like North Korea, was portrayed in the US context in the media. And it was always Characterized as like a rogue state run by an insane dictator. There's brutal oppression there, um, but I started to think that there must be more to these I can't call them countrymen, but to these folks who I share like lineage and ancestry with and just these like narratives. Um, So I started paying a little bit more attention to just like the language around the Koreas and how they were portrayed. And, um, you know, my grandmother had the opportunity to travel to like the DMZ and look for lost um, family members. And I believe my father went also during one of these like brief windows of time when folks were allowed to try to like search for missing family members. And, you know, this is like a good 30 years post the border being closed. Um,
0: so would this have been like in the 80s or I 90s? think probably in
1: the early, Probably the early 90s, okay. if I'm remembering correctly. Um, but the way my father would talk about it too, it seemed to me like when he would, that these things weren't closed wounds, but like open in his body. Um, so it just sensitized me to, to paying attention differently to just like the news around Korea. And um, I knew that I wanted to like do some kind of work to address it. But given my situation here in the United States, growing up as a U.S. citizen, really growing up with a lot of like safety, comfort, privilege, and also like this like very like, you know, late capital, U.S. quote, democratic framework, I didn't trust that I could like really make a useful contribution. Yeah. Um, And I remember once like reading in the news how there's a lot of this, passive aggressive and just aggressive attention that gets shared between the Koreas. And it's like visually and symbolically presented to us at the DMZ Mm -hmm. where there's this like space where there's these buildings and they they have soldiers who square off and just face each other.
0: And DMZ stands for Demilitarized. Yeah, the
1: Demilitarized Zone. And um, I remember just like reading about how both North and South Korea would engage in these like propaganda battles with one another. One by having like the most like built-up, bulky soldiers just like standing watch facing each other. But then they would also launch like balloons over the border to each other. Huh. And the South Korean balloons would like carry messages of like how great their consumers' lifestyles are and how like comfortable and satisfied everyone is. And just pictures of like what it meant to participate in like a global political economy, and like the North responded by sending back cigarette butts, <laughs> like just as like huh. kind of a giant like fu, you know? huh. and that was like the core of me wanting to create an installation out of that, referencing that, and it struck me because when you think of like balloons. They're probably one of the most like beautiful things in flight you can see. Like mm-hmm. I let one go on the bridge here last month and I was in residency and it literally ran like a wild dog into <laughs> the sky. It was so beautiful, it was so free. And it it troubled me to think of this like boundaryless element that to us really represents transcendence being used as a vehicle to transmit and reiterate like boundary. Political ideology, aggression, yeah. you know, and so I wanted to use a balloon as a medium for messages of like connection and peace instead. Hmm. So the original image um, concept that I had was to create a balloon out of like cigarette paper huh. and project onto that these wishes for peace. Um, structurally, that wasn't really going to be feasible <laughs> for me to pull off. So I landed on um, creating, like, a large-scale, like, weather, using a large-scale weather balloon mm. as the projection surface. Mm. And because my <coughs> medium's like, language and I'm a poet, even though I've been, like, doing other work, I wanted to have an element of the poetry there. Yeah. So the video features some, like, recitation and mm-hmm. some movement, um, but I also collaborated with a friend of mine, Kai Wei Xu, to design these paper lanterns that I've written poetry over that will like shine the light of the poems into the bodies of the guests. And the idea is that like the poetry light will infiltrate their bodies and join their wishes for peace and like rise into the balloon with this video projection and hopefully just be transmitted into like the atmosphere.
0: So the lanterns will be physically lit with yes. actual flame?
1: No, not flame, that would be like a hot fire hazard. <laughs> They're highly flammable. <laughs> these lanterns. So we have these like smaller LED lights. The initial vision yet was yes to use like a um, like oil lamp of some sort, mm. but um, we realized it was going to be like too challenging. Mm. So and also um, we're going to be like using them as part of the performance. Oh, so I'm they'll sorry. be mobile. We'll be moving around, and um, it just felt like a little too risky of at this stage. So yeah.
0: So I feel like you've already started to touch upon this, but um, you know the balloon as a symbol is really important, and I didn't know what you just told me about sort of the way balloons are used in propaganda. Um, the lantern also as a symbol. Uh, what is the significance of that to you? Like, why was that um, added? Yeah, well, when you think about
1: what lanterns do, they light bright- they help brighten dark ways. And I've heard so many cynical things said about like the possibility of peace in Korea. One of which is that an entire generation will simply have to die Hmm. before a new imagination can take hold. Hmm. And I find that statement to be immensely full of despair. Like if there's anything that we can do that astonishes us, it's vision differently and so um i wanted to have something physical that spoke directly to like this act of vision and imagination
0: yeah
1: and i also like the notion of like a soft light that would require a different kind of attention yeah um i feel like peace will happen subtly Mm. and maybe to make space for it we have to like soften the way that we like think of things or see things, hmm.
0: so, That's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it's interesting in light of, you know, what's been happening in the last few days. Oh my god. You're, I feel like your project has taken on uh, sort of an additional charge. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, for the first time in decades, I think, there has been all of a sudden conversations about, mm-hmm. you know, North Korea maybe denuclearizing de- mm-hmm. themselves, mm-hmm. that's not a word, but. Um, uh, and I was actually reading on the news this morning, a Korean news site, um, you talked about the DMZ, about there was a photo of uh, South Korean, I guess, army officials or police mm-hmm. officers um, dismantling like a speaker system that had been used for propaganda mm-hmm. that along mm-hmm. the de- demilitarized zone, they had these like wall of loudspeakers speakers, that was just yeah. blasting things um, so yeah I mean I guess how are you feeling both about that transition that seems to be happening maybe not be happening um, and then like how does how do you think the work does, does that give the work meaning for you or well
1: it's very exciting it's very nerve wracking I'm probably going like, to tear up thinking about it because it's just like it's unfathomable. It really is. And the fact that it took like something as wildly distasteful as like an American president being as erratic as it is <laughs> to cause this is like, you know, when they say like flowers grow out of shit, I mean it's <laughs> sort of like <laughs> case in point. Yeah. Um, I'm glad if this highlights or resonates like the wishes that this installation incorporates and is trying to express. Um, it makes me sad that it always takes some kind of like massive action to garner the interest of like the world just around people's like daily tribulations and pain, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited. Uh, it's also, I know how politics work, and so there's that scary bit of skepticism just because there is so much about this which is made for the media yeah. and made to present a certain vision. Um, but I, I think those things do matter and, you know, I was like in middle school when the Berlin Wall came down and I know that change can happen like quite suddenly
0: yeah.
1: overnight because there's all these other things like brewing underground, Underneath, yeah, you know, yeah. and just the fact that there's like some actual movement I think is really exciting. I just think that um, like the Korean leadership needs to be able to interact with each other without other forces trying to intervene it's been clear to me for like a while now that there's interest in having like peaceful relations with one another but frankly it's like u.s interests that continue to stoke these fires in my opinion you Mm -hmm. know so um i'm optimistic and if that inspires people to come and observe, but I hope to be like a really beautiful experience with this performance and installation and if it encourages them to think a little bit differently about like our global connectedness, you know about us here in Philadelphia in this very loud city <laughs> <laughs> actually have something deeply in common with these, these people, like in a small peninsula in the middle of like North Asia. You know, I, I feel, I feel a lot of like hope for that
0: great Um, so you know I I know your your background is as a poet and also like a scholar of poetry and literature um, which to me feel like sort of very isolated and isolating practices you know you don't typically think of poets as being collaborative necessarily or scholars as being collaborative well that's a whole other thing. But, um, you know, one thing that struck me is that you are, you're working with a designer, you've brought in a dancer choreographer. Um, This seems like a very collaborative piece. Um, and, And so I guess I'm wondering like why it was important for you to bring other people in Mm -hmm. to help you realize this vision. Yeah. So I totally agree what you're saying about
1: poets and scholars. I mean, there's a kind of monkishness that floats around them. Yeah. Especially poets that aren't like spoken word artists. Yes. You know, um, there's just like a different kind of energy around how they engage the world. So I understand that. Um, for me, like I, I am definitely like a poet and I'm also definitely an intellectual but I'm also someone who really loves community. Like my day job is working for a social justice foundation mm. and I lead like a volunteer engagement program. Mm. And when I was like a faculty member, it mattered a lot to me to like have community. So I would like host events and run I ran a series, like I had a small press. I think that like my love of community manifested itself in like a lot of other ways, but not always collaboratively. Mm. So this was, like, a stretch for me. One, when when you have, like, a concept for something and you invite other people into it, it changes. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, you know, it became clear to me, like, with this image I had for the installation, that I didn't have the tools or skills to be able to express it in a way that would do, like, the vision for what its message was justice. Um, I'm a dilettante about so many things. Like, definitely as a video artist, I feel like I come to it very like raw. I don't have a lot of skill or finish, but I think it still transmits and yeah. that's why people respond to it. But, and likewise with movement, I'm definitely a dilettante. I, I describe the vehicle of movement in my body as a bad one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I find that interesting that I'm using poor instruments yeah. to try to express something. Mm. Um, But I realized that given like this opportunity and how significant it is to participate in uh, an anniversary celebration like this, Asian Arts Initiative is like an incredible space. I feel that they've opened up so much for me that I didn't want to do the typical Juliet DIY indie kid thing and Mm -hmm. just show up and muck it, muck (laughs) around, and then just drink beer. I wanted it to be noteworthy and high quality and so um, my friend Kai Wei Shu, we actually grew up together. I've known him since I was almost seven years old. Oh
0: goodness. Yeah.
1: There's a phase in our lives and people would mistake us for one another because we had the same kind of like, like, Nirvana haircut <laughs> <laughs> in like high school. Um, And he's an incredible designer. He went to like the Rhode Island School of Design and runs his own like custom, furniture and fabrication like studio and um i'd been wanting to work with him for a while but there never seemed to be like a good occasion for it and actually we had talked a couple years ago about building lanterns together
0: Hmm.
1: so um
0: things always come back i know they
1: do they do and um so the opportunity to work with him was like a no-brainer when i got the commission and then jung He's just outstanding. Like, I don't know if you've had the chance to interact with him or see him move, but you'll get to if you come to the performances this week. And um, I saw maybe four years ago at a dance performance at the Iron Factory up near Northeast Philly, like in Fishtown, Kensington. And it blew my mind. Mm -hmm. He was completely stunning. He, he transmits something so powerful in his quality of attention and the way that he just like moves that I told Gail Issa, the Executive Director at the Asian Arts Initiative, like, this guy is really something else. Like, he's incredible. And um, I had moved from uh, Philly, like, a couple years after that. And I got this phone call, and it was really cute. And it was, like, this Philly number, and I answered it. And it was this, like, heavily-accented Korean voice. And initially, I was like, oh, man, is this one, like, my former husband's cousin, like, calling me? <laughs> and he was like, do you remember me? And I'm like, oh. He's like, it's jong And I just like laughed, because it was the last person I thought I would call, but the conversation was really sweet, and he just said to me, you know, you seem like someone I should keep in touch with, you know, I want to work with you someday. And I knew I wanted to work with him someday too, and um, you know, this opportunity came up. So I did like a performance a couple of years ago at the Chicago's... um, uh, Uh, citywide performance arts festival Mm -hmm. called in time and that was like a very like a pilot experience for me doing movement work and um i have like movement elements in the video work that i do but doing something live in front of audiences i realized like it would really be i wanted to have him involved and I initially expected him to just do all the dance work, but he insisted that I like place myself in it. Mm. So I'm gonna be. So you're in the video. Oh, I'm I'm in the video for sure, but I'm in the live performances. Oh. like I thought the live performances would be like his yes. contribution, yeah. but he's incredibly collaborative. He's got just an incredible capacity to imagine, and he has pushed me to to do this, you know. And he came to Denver um, a couple of weeks ago, so we could rehearse a little bit more. And he just got this look on his face, and he looked at me, and he said, if I didn't ask you, would you have danced, you know, for the performance? And I was just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, why? <laughs> and, um, you know, it's it's exciting. It's it's a little scary for me. Yeah. Like, and I'm not, like I said, an elegant mover. Um, I think there's some interest in that. Yeah. Um, but Jung-ung has, he's so fluent with his body, it's really remarkable to, to watch him and to move with him. Yeah. yeah so that's how all that happened.
0: I'm looking for, I'm so looking forward to seeing this now. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, so, you know, on the question of community and community engagement, um, you know, that seems like a really important piece, not just of your project, but of this entire weekend celebration and, you know, so much of what Asian arts does. Um, So, you know, in thinking about this piece, how much did you think about sort of what community it was serving? Um, Sort of, in other words, you know, who is it for Mm -hmm. in a sense? Yeah, well, you know, one thing about having
1: lived in Philly for a long time, and I lived in like probably the most heavily gentrifying neighborhood in town, like Fishtown, Kensington, Ah, right? For sure. (laughs) Like, dude, I, it was like the four B's of hipsterdom. Beards, beer, bikes, Yikes. and now babies. <laughs> oh, I see, <laughs> yes, because hipsters are aging. So yeah, it, yes. was, it was intense, mm-hmm. and and then biking from there down into downtown, I would come through Chinatown a lot of times, mm-hmm. and I could see it happening here, Um, I witnessed the casino fight, like they brought a pop it down in Chinatown, just like all this stuff. And there's a long history of that with like cities generally in Asian populations, especially on the East coast. Um, and it's a concern, you know, like when I first moved to Denver, I worked for a women's shelter and the majority of the clients, the members who came in were women who were actively homeless. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I grew up, in a, a, an affluent family. My father's a medical doctor, so I've never had to personally witness or experience poverty like that. Yeah. older sister and brother had a different experience. They're, they're five and six years older than me. They experienced poverty when they first arrived in the US. You know, my mom used to like knit baby clothes for grocery money and stuff. So totally. we had very different yeah. childhoods. Um, but that experience in Denver in particular, and also just being a witness to like a lot of the changes here in the city, made it clear to me that this imagination for connection, even though for me this is motivated by my concerns and what I feel like are generational concerns about like the Koreas and the tension there. Like I can look across Philly even now and I see boundary, ideology, division, you know, like that whole the bootstraps myth, like, why aren't these communities making better decisions for themselves? I know, and it just, it it concerns me because this lack of um, seeing or being willing to witness like our deeper fundamental connection and and our humanity, I feel like this can speak to that. So. you know, I also appreciate Asian Arts Initiative's mission to work with the local community here because yeah. it's not just Chinatown residents, mm-hmm. it's a lot of low-income black community members and they're doing art together and fostering relationships with one another. And when I was a teenager, I saw the Rodney King beating on TV. I witnessed LA riots on the news media. We had a family friend who was shot and killed in DC. Mm-hmm. She was a small bodega owner. like. These things are not abstract; Mm. they're very intimate and close. And so, to use the arts, especially from Asian community standpoint, to foster connection and understanding across communities, um, to me is really important. So, to participate here and have this go up in North Chinatown is like really exciting for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I'm wondering also about taking, because I mean it seems like you do a lot of this work in your sort of non-art professional life. Like you think about these things a lot, Um, you think about these things a lot personally. Um, It's my understanding also that you, um, much of what you write about is also sort of around issues of community and space and geography and borders and all these kinds of things. At what point did you start to sort of take, in the creative part of your life, kind of take those ideas off the page and, and sort of into real space and into the visual realm? Mm-hmm. What, was, what sort of prompted you to do that? Yeah,
1: so my older sister's an actor. She's actually, I believe, the first Korean woman to attend the Tisch School of Arts and Acting. Oh. Yeah. Huh. And um, so I got the chance to see her performances growing up. It spoiled me rotten because it's really hard to watch bad actors. <laughs> yes! <laughs> <I'm> Say <saying>, it right. <laughs> but yeah, it really spoiled me rotten. Um, and, uh, you know, my mother has always been like 100,000% supportive of like, my interest in the arts. And she's been living out of this country, you know, probably close to 50 years. If you meet her though, her English is still very broken. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and I forget that because she's my mother, but uh, English, she's still not like fluid with it. And um, I remember like one time she came to one of my poetry readings, and of course it was in this like dive bar in DC with like all these other like, you know, poets drinking beers and stuff. And she started just taking like flash photos. that's how supportive she is but then it it dawned on me that like her life experience and like who she is in the world is so rooted in like how and why I make art and how I try to think differently about like what we can do in the world together yeah and it just sort of like hurt me that the core thing I was trying to express was inaccessible to her
0: Hmm. I'm
1: also not like the easiest poet to read I I really challenge my readers I don't make things light, you know, and, um, and it's not because I'm like, I'm better than you. I just genuinely believe we have to like rewire how we think, mm. and we can't do that in conventional modes of language, so I'm very interventional in that way.
0: Right.
1: Um, and So you take that on top of English, right. and I, you know, one of these big words a lot of times, like there's no way she's gleaning, right. you know, the core of what I'm trying to transmit.
0: Right.
1: And so one of the first pieces I did was actually a kite. Hmm. That I made out of like Korean mulberry paper, and I wrote poetry across it. And my mom was a visual artist in Korea. She actually oh. won like a national award when she was a young woman before she immigrated oh, here. Yeah. yeah, her background's in like sculpture and pottery. But she has that training and that way of understanding objects in the world. So the moment she saw this kite, which referenced like this Korean historical incident and had like sort of like Korean Taoist like motifs in it mm-hmm. she was just she just looked at me she said I know what you do huh and that changed everything for me huh. she and I could connect not just on a mother being proud of her daughter way but like artist to artist woman to woman and the gown that I wear, which I'll be wearing for part of the performance and is um, featured in a lot of the video art I do that uses this Korean movement work, mm-hmm. she sewed it for me. Oh, wow. you know. So the opportunity for me to have that relationship with her as like, a thinker in the world together, it's, that's profound. So I have to say genuinely, it started because I wanted to be able to connect with her.
0: That's so beautiful, Julia. <laughs> um, well, I think we've. Uh, I think we're out of time. Um, but thank you so much for speaking. Oh, for my me. pleasure, Imani. I'm really excited for everyone to get to hear <laughs> it. Um, for those lucky listeners at home, this is and has been another installment of Art Blog Radio. My name is Imani Roach. Thank you so much for listening.